Good morning, Bridge. You can be seated. How you doing, guys? The answer is I am blessed, right? Regardless of whatever circumstance we're facing, that's irrelevant, that I am blessed. And so I'm so glad you're here for the year that are here for the first time. Please don't be nervous about, you know, just settling in and enjoying. We're just wide open folk from every walk of life and background who welcome you to join us and be a part of what God is doing here. But we're in a series uh, that I'm calling I Am Blessed. And we've been talking about this reality that we don't always like the circumstances of our life. Can I get an Amen. Sometimes we feel a lot like the guy in the picture where the car is blown up and we're pushing it and in the midst of doing our best, lightning strikes us in the butt. It's just kind of, that's just kind of the way life is sometimes. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that we get to live the blessed life that Jesus promised. So what we're doing is we're working our way through the Beatitudes, that, that initial part of, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which was the central message of Jesus' life, uh, and we're trying to understand what this blessed life is really all about. For those of you that are new and also to get the wheels turning, there are four general principles we've been talking about from the beginning. Let's rehearse those right quick. First of all, that word blessed uh, in the original manuscript was the, was the word makarios, the Greek word makarios, that means literally to be supremely favored, uh, to be fortunate, to be favored by God. At the same time, the second thing we learned is that's kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You're saying that I'm fortunate to be poor. I'm fortunate to be sad. I'm fortunate to be uh, hungry. I mean, that doesn't make sense on the surface until you dig deeper <coughs> and realize that this blessed life has nothing to do with our current circumstances, that we are blessed because we, as we become more like Christ, his character traits get implanted in us. We become more like him. And so Jesus is not saying you're blessed if you become more poor in spirit, if you become more hungry. He's blessed as you become more like me because you are. It's a congratulations. Because you're poor in spirit, you are blessed. And so the journey is, is really just to become like Christ. That's the journey, to learn more and more about him and to become more and more like him. The fourth general principle we've been talking about is this reality that I believe the Beatitudes were laid out in order, and I'm adding another detail to that today. I think they were actually laid out uh, in, in, in two separate categories of order. Just as some of you know, the Ten Commandments are in two parts. You, you guys know that? The first five are related to our relationship with with God, and the second five are our relationship with man. That's how the Ten Commandments are laid out. Well, the Beatitudes are the same. You've got four that are in relationship with, our, uh, with relating to God, and the other four are in our relationship to human beings. In fact, when Jesus was asked the question, can you sum up the whole Bible? Now, just what's the bottom line of the whole thing? Without hesitation, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. At the end of the day, that's all it is. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. It's about vertical relationship with God leading to healthy horizontal relationships with our fellow man. That's the end of it. You do understand that the only thing you're taking into eternity is your character and your relationships. You got that, right? And so he says these become the two most important things of all the other stuff that we talk about. And so I kind of put a chart together to help us see it and understand it and maybe visualize it a little bit. The first four of the Beatitudes deal with our relationship with God. We've covered those for the last four weeks. If you missed those messages, email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you the notes for that so you can study them on your own. Or you can go to the Bridge NC app even right now and get those notes, get today's notes, and follow along. 
wrong. So these four uh, deal with our relationship with God, and now we make the transition to the right side of the chart where we begin to talk about our relationship with man. So let's rehearse it, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, we said, has to do with humility. This idea that as we humble ourselves before God, as we recognize that he is God and I am not, that that is the road, the first step on the road to the blessed life. In other words, as long as you think you're the captain of your own fate, good luck. You're on your own. It's when you finally submit to him that you find out that the blessed life is available to you. Then we talked about blessed are they that mourn. They are the ones that are comforted. And, yes, there's a sense in which when we're grieving a loss, we mourn, and we're open about that. We, we deal with that, and we get comfort. But, again, there's a deeper level, the deeper understanding, which is when we begin to grieve over the same things that God grieves about, sin, then that leads ultimately to repentance. God grieves over sin because the wages of sin is death, and he doesn't want us to die. And so when we do that, the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. Then we begin to pray for meekness, which is strength under control, in fact, under Holy Spirit power. And so we're saying, Holy Spirit, we need you to give us the strength to live out this life. We just sang about it, this idea, I am a child of God, and I can face whatever circumstance comes along because I'm not operating in my own power. I'm operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads us then to last weekend when we talked about this thing of being hungry, to be famished, to, to starve almost, to say, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. Uh, in intimate, intimate kinds of terms, and that becomes the journey of relationship with God. Now we start talking about relationship with man. Any, any, uh, any uh, guesses as to why that list starts with mercy? I mean, if they're in order, any reason in your mind why it starts with mercy? Because every human relationship we have is messy. Can I get an amen in the room? <laughs> human relationships are hard. They just are. And I think it starts with mercy because what you actually have is a group of imperfect people trying to relate to imperfect people. And so mercy has to be in the equation of human relationships every time or we're in trouble. Here's how Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Here we go. Let's read it together. It's on the screens. One, two, three, go. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, there's a, there's a nuance to that word I want to make sure you get, and that is it's the Greek word eleo that means to show compassion by word or deed. So when he says mercy, he's not just talking about an attitude toward people. He's talking about actions toward people, this idea of compassion toward people. So let's go back to our chart again. What we're going to do today is we're going to add the word compassionate to our little chart. We'll continue to fill these in as the weeks go by. But today, we're talking about this idea of being compassionate people. Jesus said that if you will show compassion, you will receive compassion. If you show mercy, you will receive mercy. And I think we've already established that in relationships, we all need mercy. We all need to give mercy. Or relationships just ultimately fall apart. So again, the road to to, 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 to the blessed life is not about trying to be merciful. It's about becoming like him. And ultimately, that character trait develops in us. Psalm 145, verse 8. I like the way the message paraphrases it. God is all mercy and grace. What does all include when you read it in Scripture? It includes all, every bit of it. God is all mercy and grace, not quick to anger, and is rich in love. I love the Hebrew word for mercy in this Old Testament passage. It's the word chesed, and it sounds like you're trying to clear your throat. You know, chesed, and chesed means loving kindness. So it's love 
but it's action. It's love in action. There's this kindness that comes out of our love. It's compassionate is what it amounts to. I love the way it, it, it figuratively is defined as to get into each other's skin, to actually come to a depth of understanding of one another so that we are acting in kind ways, merciful ways toward one another. So that's the journey to the blessed life in terms of human relationships. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. Is that hard? Is it hard to be merciful and compassionate? Does it come naturally? Not to most of us. Most of us start out self-centered. I mean, is it true? We start out self-centered? How many of you have children? How many of you, when they were six months old at 3 o'clock in the morning, they woke up hungry and diaper full and laid there and said, you know what, I'm miserable, but mom and dad are so tired, I'm not going to bother them now. That's not what they do, is it? Right, because we start out selfish, and we battle against those selfishness all our lives, and so we ultimately need help, we need grace, we need mercy. So here's what I want to do in the few minutes we've got this morning. I want us to... I want us to get real. I want us to get honest with ourselves. Nobody's going to ask you to share your results, but I'm going to ask us to evaluate ourselves in just how compassionate we are. I mean, it's nice to say, yeah, I'm a merciful person. Yeah, I'm a compassionate person. But remember, we're talking about actions, not just attitudes. So let's do a little evaluation. There's a note card in the back of your seat. You can use that. Again, you can go to the Bridge NC app and pull up the notes and save it to the journal and and type it there. Just take a piece of paper and write it down somewhere. Put it in your smartphone. I don't care. But let's track ourselves today and ask ourselves very honestly, what do I need to do in terms of growing toward being the compassionate person, understanding that not only am I called to do that, but it's only as I show compassion that I receive compassion. It's only as I show mercy that I receive mercy. Let's get into it. I think there are four descriptive terms for a compassionate person. Let's see how we're doing. First of all, compassionate people are patient with the peculiar. They're patient with the peculiar. You know the type I'm talking about. I didn't say look at them. Come on, just look around. at them. You know the type I'm talking about. The people where their elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. You know, you look in their eyes, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, those kind of those, you know, the kind of people we say, well, he's weird, bless his heart. (laughs) For those of you not from the South, uh, bless his heart is a word that we use or a phrase that we use that says it's okay that I just said something really ugly. That's, you know, right? So he's so stupid, but I love him. That's kind of what it means. He's stupid, bless his heart. That means, you know, uh, so it's okay to do that, all right? So bless his heart. We all know people like that. We relate to people like that. The question is, how do you deal with people like that? Here's what Paul said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, timid take care of those who are weak, be what? patient with who, who, who's, who's included in everyone? The jerk at work? Your spouse when they're being self-centered? Yeah, me? You, us, it's everybody, right? Be patient with everybody. And, of course, I'm always patient with everybody. So, uh, but some of you really struggle with this. Come on. Your motto in life is I'd be more patient if everybody around me weren't so dumb. I mean, come on, you know. that's. So before you evaluate how you're doing in this one, let me, let me give you a little help. Let me give you two, I think, really important keys uh, so you can become a more patient person with the peculiar people in your life. Number one, I want you to look wider. 
By look wider, what I mean is I want you to look at the whole timeline of their life. I want you to go beyond what's happening in the moment. I want you to look at their past as much as you can. I want you to look at the trajectory of their lives toward the future. It's amazing when I do that how often instead of thinking, boy, that guy's got a long way to go, I find myself thinking, man, that guy's come a long way. There's just something that happens when you think long-term, you think wider than just the moment. But I also want you to look deeper. I want you to look at what's going on below the surface. Most people who exhibit external peculiarities have internal pain, loneliness, depression, insecurities, fear, shame. That's the stuff that's going on deeper. And if we don't take the time to look deeper than the surface, we'll miss that. And before you know it, we'll find ourselves being impatient. But if we'll look deeper, we'll find ourselves being more patient. Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as, say it with me, just as, one more time, just as who? Christ accepted you, this whole journey. Did I mention this whole journey is about becoming like Jesus? And so Jesus accepts us. That means that as compassionate people, we have to accept one another just as Jesus does. That says to me that compassionate people are accepting people. Listen to me, guys. Hear me. They're the kind of people who celebrate diversity. They're the kind of people who resist prejudice. Hello? Can we just be real honest? I'll whisper it, okay? Let's be real honest. Every one of us in this room, no matter what your ethnicity, grew up with some prejudice, was trained in some prejudice toward one group or another, kind of hit a real silent amen. And so the challenge becomes for us to resist that, to not allow those prejudices that we were trained in growing up to define. You know what the word prejudice means? It means to prejudge. is to make a decision based on a lack of information. We didn't take the time to look wider. We didn't take the time to look deeper. And the result is we make assessments that ultimately lead us to being impatient with these people because we don't understand who they are, where they're coming from, or what's going on in their lives. Compassionate people don't let that happen. And when they do, they go, oh, man, that's not who I want to be. And they challenge that. So evaluate yourself, okay? If you say, I got no use for nobody that ain't just like me, then give yourself a one. You're at the left end of this scale of one to ten, okay? If you say, well, sometimes, you know, I I deal with people and and I try to look wider. I try to look deeper, but I still tend to be impatient. Then give yourself a three or a four. At least you're trying. You're moving up the scale. If you can say, yeah, when I do look wider and deeper, when I do take the time to try to understand what's going on here, I do find myself, you know, being a little more understanding and a little more patient. Okay, then you're, you're five, six, seven, up in there. If you can honestly say, I always consider the hurt behind the actions and then act accordingly, then give yourself a 10. I'm guessing there aren't many 10s in the room, including on the stage. Amen? If I'm compassionate, though, I am patient with the peculiar. Ready for number two? If I'm compassion, I will forgive the fallen. Compassionate people forgive the fallen. That's, the question is, when people mess up in your life, when they mess things up for you do, you, do you rub it in or rub it out? Do you hold it over their heads for years and you use it against them, use it for leverage to get what you want, or do you 
let them off the hook. Oh, no, no, I let them off the hook eventually, but, you know, i got to nail them a few times first. I'll eventually let them off the hook. Is, is that how you want to be treated? Simply put, compassionate people are forgivers. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, there's that word again, as like as who? The Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive you? When you finally got your act together? Or when you were thumbing your nose at him? When did the Lord forgive you? When you finally recognized the power of the cross? Or when you were running from him? You see, God's grace extends to us no matter where we are and invites us to come to him no matter where we are because that's who he is. most amazing thing about forgiveness among human beings is that when we are called to receive it, it feels so right, but when we're called to give it, it can be tough. Well, Pastor, I, I, I would forgive, but... But they really they need to learn their lesson first. Well, I'm sorry, that's not your job to teach them. Well, well okay, I, I would forgive, but, but if I forgive them, they get off scot-free. It's not your job to hold them accountable. Well, I forgive them, but I deserve justice. Be careful about demanding justice. You might get it. Kind of like the lady who had her portrait made and decided to return the picture. She went to the photographer and said, these pictures just don't do me justice. And the photographer said, lady, the camera just takes what it sees. You don't need justice, you need mercy. (laughs) Hear me, guys. Forgiving is not about them or what they did. Forgiving is about you and who you are and who you're becoming. So evaluate yourself. We could spend a long time on that one, but let's move on. When my friends fail, I don't forgive them. There's a principle involved. Then give yourself a one. You're on the left end of the scale. If you say, I forgive, but I let them squirm first. They, you know, they need to squirm first. Then give yourself a two, three, four, along in there somewhere, depending on how long. If you could say, I pray for the grace to forgive, and I just really do pray, Lord, help me to be a forgiver, then give yourself a seven or an eight, somewhere up on that end of the scale. If you can honestly say, I pray every morning, Lord, give me the grace in advance to be a forgiver today. You know what's going to happen. I don't, but I choose to be a forgiver. If that's who you are, give yourself a 10. Somewhere on that scale is where we all live. Compassionate people are patient with the peculiar. They forgive the fallen. Here's a big one, number three. Compassionate people help the hurting. Compassionate people help the hurting. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Remember the kind of mercy Jesus was talking about? He's talking about that aleo. He's talking about that chesed. He's talking about love in action. And here's some good news, guys. If that's the kind of person you want to be, you don't have to look very hard to find some hurting people. Amen? It's not hard to find. fact is, you don't even have to leave this room. Again, deep and wide, if you walk into this room on a given Sunday morning and you look superficially, you and I both know what you're going to see. You're going to see their best Sunday smiles. You're going to see their best Sunday outfits. And you're going to say, hey, these people have got their act together. I don't have mine together, therefore I don't fit here. Ha! But if you start looking deeper, you're going to find out, hear me, listen, lean in, everybody's hurting somewhere. 
Say it with me. Everybody's hurting somewhere. And if you listen long enough, you'll figure out where it is and what it is and why it is. If you listen deeper and wider and if you pay attention, everybody's hurting somewhere. Here's how the Apostle John said it. Brace yourself. This is nosebleed the passage. 1 John 3, 17 and 18, but if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us just just stop saying, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you and turn around and walk away. Let us stop saying we love each other and really, really show it by our actions. I love the way John Wesley I was said to have put it off, and he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And for Wesley, that wasn't just a slogan. That wasn't just a poem. He said to have ridden 250,000 miles on horseback, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ across this nation. He started things he called little societies. We call them bridge groups. But he started these little societies all over the nation of people that cared for each other and loved each other and studied the Word of God together and found the blessed life in Christ together. Tens of thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of John Wesley because he understood this principle. Can can I I just segue for a moment and tell you it's one of the reasons that I love this place? Because there's never a week that goes by that I don't hear another story about somebody else that understands this principle. It just goes on and on and on and on. I hear stories about our, our bridge group members helping each other out or bridge group members coming together and, and meeting a need of somebody they didn't even know working together. Uh, to, to Jean Bryant, who uh, Pastor Jimmy's wife, who goes to News Correctional Ladies every Monday night and does a Bible study there from Celebrate Recovery that Pastor Andy mentioned earlier tonight, had 75 this past Tuesday people that are finding freedom and deliverance from hurts and habits and hang-ups to a soup kitchen, to a medical RV that's out doing medical screenings among the hopeless, to, to a homeless, to, to military families whose spouses are deployed, just, just acts of kindness and compassion that happen all over this place all the time. But one of my favorites is a story I just heard this week. One of our pastors, in fact, Pastor Allen, our, our, our new uh, Smithfield uh, location pastor, was in Rocky Mount this past week, and he met a man who's starting a halfway house for prisoners, for guys who are getting out of jail, and, and they come in, and he's setting up a little house for them, and, uh, and, and they come in, and they do a one-year program uh, to, to kind of get reoriented into society, and he helps them get a job, and he teaches them the Word of God, and he helps them get prepared for going into society. Well, Pastor Allen was talking to him, and in the course of the conversation, the guy said, so, so what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a pastor. Really, where do you pastor? He said, I'm one of the pastors at the bridge, and the guy started crying. He said, oh, you've got to go back and tell them. Five years ago, I was incarcerated, and the bridge came. Pastor Joey Lancaster came and preached the gospel, and I accepted Jesus Christ. And now I'm doing my best to pay it forward with these guys that are getting out of jail. That's, you know, sometimes you get paid back, but it's even richer when it gets paid forward. Can we give it up for what's going on across this place? Amen. 
It's the reason I. There's the reason Kim and I fell in love with this place a long time ago. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Tell you as frankly as I, if, as I know how. If I thought the bridge was was going to be just a church on the corner with a slogan that says "Try Our Friendly Church," I'd retire. I'd go play with my grandbabies. It ain't worth giving my life to just to go through the motions. It's just not worth it told our staff when I first came on the team, I said, guys, I cannot give my one and only life to counting cash, chairs, and cars. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be about life change and life development and helping hurting people find Jesus Christ. And that's who we are as a church family. It's why we call ourselves a hospital for the hurting. That's real. That's not a slogan. That's real. And if that's who you are, I hope you know that no matter what's going on in your life, you are welcome in this place. Jesus taught us that that's the way we're supposed to live. And the way he did it was to tell us a story about a guy who was beat up and left for dead one day, and he talked about this self-important man that that passed by because he was too busy to bother and help. And then he talked about these religious guys that walked by and, and were too important, too holy to stop and help. And then he talked about this lowly Samaritan guy who stopped and picked him up and took him to the Hampton Inn and left his visa card and said, take care of him. I'll be back to check on him soon. Jesus said, that's the way you live. Matthew 5, 7, blessed people are the ones who care enough to get involved in the messiness of the world around us. They are the ones who ultimately receive compassion. So, how you doing? Evaluate yourself. When somebody's hurting around you, do you say, I, you know, I don't actually, I hear you, Pastor, but I don't actually know anybody that's hurting. Then give yourself a minus five because you ain't looking around. There's so many things going on around us. If you say, you know what, I, I see hurt, but that's the preacher's job. That, that's, that's what we hired you for. Then give yourself a minus two because you ain't on the scale yet either. If you can say my head's on swivel all the time, and I'm doing all I can to, go, to, to look wider and deeper at the things that I'm confronted with, and I'm asking the Lord to show me what I'm supposed to do. Let me tell you guys, God will show you a hurt for typically one of two reasons. He either wants you to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send people to do it, or he wants you to do something right then and there. If you take it upon yourself to do something about every hurt you ever encounter, you'll spend the rest of your life on a whirlwind because there are so many thousands of needs around us. But he never wants you to ignore it. He never wants you to just pass by. He wants you to stop. Either pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers or he wants you to do something about it. It is the compassionate who receive compassion. It is the merciful who receive mercy. Compassionate people then are patient with the peculiar. They are forgiving to the fallen. They help the hurting. And then finally, did I mention this gets harder as you go? It does. Compassionate people do good to their enemies. They do good to their enemies. You may not like the idea of of using a term enemies of people, but Jesus did, so I guess we'll use it. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Here we go. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. If you do good only to those who do good to you, is that so wonderful? I mean, it's, any, it's, it's easy to love lovable people. I mean, anybody can do that, right? Even sinners do that much. Love your enemies. Do good to them. You must be compassionate. Here's that phrase again. Just as your Father is compassionate. So as we become more like him, that's part of who we become because that's who he is. 
become compassionate. You know, like father, like son, compassionate. Let's be honest, guys. We, we grew up in a world that teaches us the exact opposite. We grew up in a world that, that says, you know, when somebody does wrong, you've got to get them. You've got to stick it to them, man. The harder, the better. Teach them a lesson. And then Jesus comes along and says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I need you to be a proactor, not a reactor. I need you to decide who you are and what you're going to do based on who I am, not based on who they are or what they do. I need you to stop reacting to the current set of circumstances around you and rise above them. You understand the difference between a reactor and a proactor, right? Reactors are constantly just kind of gauging what's going on and then, and then acting out of that. But proactors decided in advance, this is who I am. I choose to be a forgiver regardless of what's happening. I'm not going to wait until I'm hurt to decide whether to forgive because when I'm hurting, I won't want to. So I decide in advance to proactively forgive. I decide in advance that when I see a hurt, I'm going to immediately start praying. Is there something you want me to do, Lord? Or do you want me to pray the Lord of the harvest that the right person comes along? But I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to address it. That's what proactive means. And so you find yourself deciding what you're going to do in advance, what is the compassionate thing to do, regardless of what they've done to you. So, so think with me for a minute. Just, just imagine with me for a minute. What if the next time the jerk at work is mean to you, you how many agree with me that there's some jerks out there? There's some jerks in the world. How many agree that sometimes it's me, <laughs> that I'm the jerk out there? So we, it, can, you know, it can be any of us. But what if the, less, the next time the jerk says something mean to you, uh, you come back with a compliment? What if the next time the jerk at work says something nasty to you, you come back with a, with a nice thing? What's he going to do? He might say, oh, I'm in the twilight zone. I don't know. But hear me. You can't control how he will respond, but here's what I know you just did. You just took control of the dialogue. Kim, my wife, tells a story sometimes about our oldest son when he was in his late teens and, you know, trying to become a man and struggling to get there. And as young men sometimes do, he became very disrespectful to his mother and, and was mean to her at times and was just resisted everything she tried to say to him. And, and I had hard conversations with him during that period. But I remember at one particular time, Kim decided, I'm, I'm, I'm done reacting. I'm done responding based on what he just did or said. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to act. And so the next time he went off on her, she, she just stood and let him do what he was going to do and say what he was going to say. And at the end of the conversation, he said, I hate you. And she said, I'm so sorry you feel that way because I love you. It blew his mind. He said, I can't even get a reaction out of you anymore. I love you, son. That's all the reaction you're going to get from me. What did she do? She took control of the conversation. And it was the beginning of his healing that ultimately led to his restoration and his growing up to be a man of God and the father that God called him to be to his children. Romans chapter 12, verse 20, 21. Do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, what? Feed them. I want you to hear yourself saying this. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And they will be ashamed of what they've done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but read it with me. Conquer evil by doing good. So evaluate yourself. How do you do on that one? 
if you honestly say, you know what, I kind of gauge how I'm going to treat mean people by how they treat me, then give yourself a one. You've got a long way to go. If you can honestly say, you know, I don't always succeed, but I really try to act, to proact rather than react, then give yourself a three, four, five, six, wherever you are in that journey. But if you can honestly say, I live my life proacting, I've made the decision in advance that this is who I am, by God's grace, this is who I'm going to be, then give yourself a 10 because you're well on the way to being the compassionate person that God called you to be and that you need to be in order to receive compassion. Well, Pastor, that's hard. This is not easy stuff. Are you telling me to, to be patient and, and to be forgiving and to be compassionate and, and even to people that, that are mean to me? What, that, that sounds hard. I know it's hard. It's, it's incredibly difficult. You can't do it in your own power. That's why it's not about trying to be this. It's about becoming more like Christ who is this. But let me give you three motivators, and I'll hush, just three keys that maybe will help you as you go on this journey to becoming the merciful people we're called to be. It helps me a lot to come back to these from time to time. Maybe they'll help you, and then we'll pray. Number one, I need you to remember God's compassion to you. When you find yourself in that moment where you need to be compassionate, just remember his compassion to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When? While we were still sinners, while we were still running from him, he showed compassion to us. While we were still being peculiar and while we were still failing and while we were still enemies of the cross and while we were still running from God, he was compassionate toward us. That's what Jesus taught us. When the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they threw her at his feet and they said, the law says she must be stoned, what do you say? Jesus said, okay, the one of you that's never broken a law, you get to start. And then he looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When people would come to Jesus and, and they would bring all kinds of petty complaints about other people to him, he'd say, whoa, wait a minute. Why are you so worried about the speck of sawdust in his eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of yours? He said, come on. You're missing something. Isn't it amazing to you how often we judge others by their worst faults, but we want to judge ourselves by our best intentions? When you find yourself being unmerciful, remember how merciful God has been to you. Second key, our motivator perhaps is remember that you're going to need mercy again. You see, the problem is we don't just mess up sometimes. We have a mess up factory. We mess up, we get forgiven, and we just make some more messes tomorrow. Is that true? Sure it is. That's what we do. We're human beings. That's what happens. And so James chapter 2 verse 13 says, for there will be no mercy for you if you've not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. Simply put, only those who give mercy will get the mercy that they need. Dr. Jerry Bridgers says it this way, unforgiveness burns the bridge that you have to walk across in order to get to heaven. If you need mercy, then you ought to be merciful because you're going to need some more in the days ahead. And then finally, being compassionate leads to the blessed life. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said. We could paraphrase that negatively and say miserable are the unmerciful. 
Is that true? The most miserable people I know are the people who are walking around carrying resentment. The most miserable people I know are walking around with grudges and, and, and feel, with a chip on their shoulder. They're the most miserable people on the planet who refuse to give up that grudge. Unmerciful makes you miserable. It's just what happens. Ben Franklin said, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Whoa, pastor, Ben Franklin wasn't a Christian. Why are you quoting him? Because he got it from the Scriptures. Look at Proverbs eleven seventeen. For your own soul is nourished when you are kind but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. Do you understand why that's true? Because ultimately, I think we started this conversation talking a little bit about this, we're born with a selfish nature. And we struggle against that selfish nature all the while we've got the flesh to deal with. And when you're hurting or when you're angry or when you're carrying any of this stuff, the, the, the natural tendency is to turn inward and think about me, 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 it's all about me, and the only way you break out of thinking about me, which takes you further and further down the rabbit hole, is to start thinking about the needs of somebody else. And when you turn yourself outward to some of the needs that are around you, and you start meeting some of the needs around you, it pulls you out of that dark, selfish place to a place where the clouds begin to clear, and before you know it, you find yourself blessing somebody else but perhaps just as importantly, being blessed yourself in the process. There are few things that bring more blessing into your life than being a blessing to someone else. I call it the boomerang blessing. How are we doing, guys? The road to the blessed life is really the journey to becoming more like Christ. And one of the clearest character traits of our Lord is that compassionate mercy that he brings to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of knowing you and to knowing your compassion and your mercy. Even as we sang this morning and as we've talked from your word today, we understand that at the end of the day, we didn't deserve mercy. You just gave it. We didn't do anything to earn it. You just gave it, and we responded. Thank you for that privilege. But I pray right now here in the quietness of this moment, as we've done some introspection, as we've done a little bit of evaluating and ask ourselves honest questions about how we're doing on this topic, I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you are convicting our hearts in areas where we need to grow, maybe affirming us in areas where we're getting it right. At the end of the day, take us one step closer to the blessed life that comes from being like Jesus. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you, but I've got two prayers I want to suggest before we go. Maybe you'll pray one of them, maybe both. But the first prayer is if you're here or you're watching online and, and you've never accepted God's mercy. You've never accepted grace. You've never said, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I need to give my life to you. If you've never done that, then yeah, it's hard to be gracious. I mean, it's hard to be a forgiver when you don't feel forgiven. It's hard to be merciful when you've never experienced mercy. So your first step in this journey is to pray and accept Jesus' free offer of mercy paid for at the cross of Calvary. So would you pray a prayer with me? You're not absolutely sure that you've received grace and mercy. Would you pray that prayer right now that just goes something like this? Jesus, 
I need your mercy. I realize I've blown it so many times, and I'm going to blow it again. Would you give me a fresh start based in your grace and your mercy? Would you fill me up with grace and mercy? Forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. A second prayer for those of you that are followers of Christ and you've accepted mercy, but somewhere along the way, sometimes we get a kind of little crust over our hearts and, and we forget that ultimately we receive as we give. You've recognized today that maybe some of that compassion has slipped by the wayside. So would you pray a prayer with me? Lord, would you remind me of your mercy that you extended to me? Would you remind me that I'm going to need some more and the only way I get it is to give it? Would you remind me that it is in showing mercy that I'm able to, to pull out of my own darkness and find the light? Help me to become the compassionate Christian you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their lives, in their respective relationships. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you've been the teacher today, that you're going to take us to that next place in you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being here today. I pray that as you go out this week, 4th of July week, you know, be safe, be careful. The roads are treacherous this time of the year, so be very careful out there. And can I ask you on 4th of July, if you have a picnic or a gathering of some sort, by all means, enjoy your freedoms as Americans. But pause for a moment during that time and just give a word of thanks and appreciation for those men and women who have served. Would you do that and just say thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of living in this great nation. Pause on this 4th of July to show some gratitude for the blessings that you have. Okay, Father, take us from this place. Keep us safe during this week and as we travel and then bring us together next Sunday to worship you and to learn from your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. The altars are open. There are people that would love to pray with you this morning. Take advantage of that opportunity. We'll see you next Sunday.